Sometimes it's uncomfortable to be with your family. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to go to chapel at family camp. And sometimes it's really uncomfortable to get up and preach. The new, I just tried to emphasize a different part of this 1 Corinthians passage each night. And the new part is, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And, uh, you know, I grew up in western New York, and my dad <clears throat> had lived there. We, he went to Bible College in Florida, came back to the Finger Lakes area of New York, and uh, I actually got to serve families from India that my mom worked for, and uh, was in their home with idols, you know. They had a shrine in their home, and... Uh, and so, you know, you think, even in America, you think about, oh, that's an idol. But, boy, the longer I've lived, the more I've recognized how idolatrous I can be. And it seems like every time the pressure gets put to me, you know, and it may be pressure that no one else sees. You know, it's that internal stuff that goes on. And sometimes... It's cataclysmic, life-altering, whatnot that is pressing against you. And it seems like every time that squeeze happens on my soul or heart, as you would say it, there is more idolatry to be found. That's why I think that's why maybe it's even hard to get up tonight. Because you write and you make a plan, but I, I, just, I have to start this message in a little different spot for you. I preached hard at you yesterday. And my concern in that, and I think I was fairly representing the passage, but my concern in that is that you don't understand um, how much I love you. <laughs> and how much, you know, Scott and I, as we travel among many of you and churches across the United States, that we sorrow and hurt with many of you. And uh, that got really personal over the last several years for me. The church that I pastored, and that God put me there as a student, they kept me as a, an assistant pastor for three or four years, and then I became the lead pastor in 2000, and, and for 17 years was the lead pastor at that church. And God did some great things there. I had times of merg, okay, there's no doubt, uh, small stuff along the way, and at one point in our church's history, we had 100 people move away in about two and a half years because of our local economy. And God said, all these people you've trained, we've we got, we got different plans for them. And God spread them across our country in all different ways. And it was like, and you know, God was faithful. I didn't like it because all the things that I wanted to see go well and be a certain way, God dismantled. And in a sense, God was looking at me like, remember, all I want from you is that you would follow me, that you would love me that you would disciple others to do the same. And you did that, I took them, now get back to the work. And of course, it'd be nice if I had like made that shift in a day, but it took a year to get my head in the right place, right? And my heart in the right place. So you would think, having gone through that, that you know, I'm a well-adjusted pastoral type person now and should really never waver. Uh, not so. So in going with BCP, obviously our church went through a transition, and, and we lived right there and went to church. I'm a bad churchgoer. I went like once every eight weeks because <laughs> I'm on the road. But my wife was there almost every week. And, and the new pastor was one of the men from my staff. We love him. I'm completely behind him. 
and, uh, and try and encourage him regularly. But the church went through some just drastic not rightness. I think there was a lot of sin. And it has shot a hole through that church. It's, it took, until God moved us, it took everything I had when I was home to go to church. Because the people I love who are still there are all hurting. That's painful. And, and all the people that aren't there are hurting. And I love them. And it's painful. Um, some of you have heard me preach um, out of a, a different psalm, a lament that I resisted God on for many months until my accountability group looked at me and said, stop complaining. And, uh, and they were hurting. They're all, they all go there. They all serve there. And, uh, and that, that painful experience, you know, like I looked at it, I'll just tell you, like personally, it doesn't matter the ins out, who's right, who's wrong. Those details are irrelevant to what I'm saying. I don't even know if we know. Honestly, everyone's done wrong, um, including me, because you hurt and then sometimes you sin out of that and have to get it right. I think I've made everything right that I know how, but, but you don't do right in all of it which is more pain on your soul. Um, but as I, as I watched that in, inwardly, I looked at it and I said, God, all the energy of my youth just went out the window. Everything, I mean, all my study and work before there, this is the only church I've known. I gave you everything I have, Lord, and it feels like it just went poof. And that's, that's painful because God was not the one I was loving. In a bunch of the work, and at the very moment, those things were going through my mind. I was loving the most natural idol I have, and that would be me. And what I might represent, and what I might be, and what I might claim... And all those things. And so when I preach these passages, even the one tonight, let me tell you, I did, wrote all of this for our trip because all the guys on our hunting trip last year, we all have experienced from different angles this pain. And so we needed to be sure that we would flee idolatry. And we know the pain of that. We know the joy of cresting the other side of that and holding on to Jesus together and saying, he's enough. He, he loves us. The pain's not gone, but he loves us and will help us. And our accountability group is not slogging at this point as we meet, even though these men are carrying the greatest weight they've ever carried at church. They are trusting Christ together. And they have gone a hundred miles to try and make peace with anyone who was disrupted. I mean incredible humility on their part to pursue what is scattered. And I think that's what every believer ought to do, right, in our times that, that look like that. I share that with you so you don't think, I don't understand, and honestly, it's painful to preach some of this because 
because I'm still needing to apply it very vividly, and I'm going to church there on Sunday, Lord willing. I am. And there's parts of it that just, it's, it's I don't know if it'll ever feel nice, but we will worship Jesus. Amen? And we'll put our eyes on him, and I will love anyone within my reach. I hope you'll wrestle tonight if needed. Or, like me, I'm not wrestling. I've, I've given up wrestling God. I pretty much lose every time, right? It's just a matter of time. Um, so I've kind of given up in this area right now on that. And instead, I'm just, I'm just letting this come in, strengthen me. It's that last, that's last trait, right? Training in righteousness. Because who knows, Sunday might be more difficult than I thought. And I'll need to have trained in righteousness. Um, we're in the passage, and we're, we're concentrating on this idea of no idolatry and understanding those same things that God is faithful. There's no temptation that isn't common. There's a way of escape. That's what he gives, and he gives us the ability to endure. Amen? That's what he does. And we don't need idol, idols because we have him. And idols just always leave distaste and wanting and death. But Christ, he is life. He is bread of life. He is water that is living. He is rock where we hide. Um, let's look at the story. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, if you're looking where at verse 5, and it would say, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. You're like, I wish I had skipped this sermon. This can't go well. <laughs> you know, most of them, God was displeased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And I hope as you sit here and go, overthrown in the wilderness, what story about Israel might fit that? And go down to verse 10, which I think is a, kind of a summary in uh, 1 Corinthians 10. And he says, don't grumble either. Don't merg, Right? as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. So the story that I think fits this most pointedly, uh, I've taken out of Numbers 14. So go to Numbers 14 if you want to follow along. I'm going to read a section, make a couple comments. We're using our same outline. I think we know what we're doing now. So Numbers 14, verse 1, it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. <laughs> Can you, uh, can you imagine three to five million people weeping? Whew. That would, that would be, oh, be overwhelming to hear that. He says, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole con congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. They've said that before. Or that we had died in the wilderness. Well, there's a new one. <laughs> Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It seems like their grumbling and their despising and their testing of God just keeps taking another step, another step, another step. And this is the same with us, isn't it? You know, and now they're at the step. They're not just complaining and going to kill Moses but, and Aaron, but they're going to replace them. I mean, they're already built in factions. They're getting ready to have a vote or however they were going to do it, right? I mean, because it certainly wasn't about what ruler had God picked, okay? Because that had clearly been established already. And they're getting ready to pick another ruler, and, uh, and now they're complaining and would rather die anywhere except where they're about to go. Now, on one hand, it's easy to 
to laugh at them. But I'm not sure if I was on a military conquest, I would want my children and my wife with me. That seems really vulnerable. Some of you know that um, we've told this story that Jen and I went through a, about a 10-year span. It, it still exists, but it's kind of quiet most of the time now, where a lady stalked us and threatened to kill my wife and, uh, in our town. It's not real comfortable to go through that if you've done things like that. And, uh, and, and so, like, I understand the idea of you leave the house and you're like, okay, is everybody good, everybody set? Or I'm in church preaching and I'm waiting to see, did my wife get in from the parking lot? Because we had two services. Did she get into Sunday school? Is she okay? Is the trustee that brings her in, is he out there? Are we good? You know, I mean, when those, those things went in, and we were like, you know, probably safe most of the time. But to be on a military conquest, I wouldn't want to just pick on them. I, I think that would be really intimidating with walled cities and alliances that were going to be set against you. So, I think their grumble makes sense intellectually. But when God has promised to give you the land, and he's written it down, and he's repeated it, and he's established it, and he's put up with you, as you'll find out in the passage, he's put up with them ten times, he says. Ten times they have really resisted me and tested me. I mean, that's, it's not been that long since they left Egypt. And ten times, God has kind of taken it and provided things, chastised a little bit, did some little intervention, but he's been really soft on them. Because remember, he knew. They didn't know him well when they came out of Egypt. But, I mean, ten times. Moses and Aaron, their response, verse 5. If you're a leader, look at this. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. I mean, that's humble in front of everybody. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes, which is very humble, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land, give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. If you read the Bible at all, you know how profound it is that God is with us, Emmanuel. And what that means, and how true it is for the believer, Jesus was called that. And let me tell you, he is with us, and most pointedly, he has given us his spirit. He is never apart from us. We are never alone. We never lack help, guidance, power, wisdom as believers who the spirit of God dwells in. Verse 10, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Okay, I'm just telling you, sometimes I do get frustrated. How, how is it this glory of the Lord keeps showing up like really bad for Pharaoh? Not so good last night. Now it shows up because they're about ready to kill God's leaders, and the glory of the Lord comes down in the camp and everybody stops. Well, if the glory of the Lord stops you, how come you don't obey I mean, if it's so profound that it like shut everybody's mouth. But, you know, that happened in the garden too, right? They all fell down and they still took Jesus to crucify him. 
Like the glory of the Lord. I mean, we think, if God, if I could just see you. No, I don't, I don't know that that's it. I think it's believing. It's believing. The Lord said to Moses, and they're hearing this, I believe, it seems like, how long will this people despise me, and how long will they not believe in me? That's why I said what I said. In spite of all the signs that I've done among them, he says, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I'll make of you a a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people in the land that he swore to give to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please, let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. I love the clarity of Moses here. And uh, it's, you know, Moses didn't convince God of anything. He's using Moses to be a profound and accurate spokesman. And he speaks of the glory of God. And Moses does not say, keep this people alive and bring them into the land so they will know your glory. What did he really ask of God? He asked for the more important thing. He asked for pardon. He asked for steadfast love to come from God to the people. He knew what really matters is our relationship with God. Inheriting the land, that is really a tertiary thing. It's not very important, okay? What matters is that you are in our midst as a unique people, and and we want that to continue. That's what mattered to Moses. I love that clarity, that understanding of the most important part of the promise is relationship with God, not even the other things that God did as display of his glory to his people. Verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. The first time I was studying this recently, I read that and I'm like, good. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute. The story doesn't turn out good. I thought he pardoned. (laughs) Well, he does. He says, I'm going to stay with you. But then he says, but truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. They should have been sweating right about there. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, and I will bring bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. And he says, now take them another way because they're not ready for war. And he says, because they've grumbled, grumbled, grumbled. There's that merg word again, okay? Three times he says, say to them, because this has happened, as I live, declares the Lord, verse 28, what you have said in my hearing, I will do. 
Remember, they were, they were afraid. Our kids will be prey. He says, instead of that, he says, I'm going to destroy all of you. And he said, except your little ones who you said would be a prey, they will remain. And they were the ones who went into the land, as we know. And he says, but they will suffer, verse 33, for your faithlessness. Forty years, they buried everybody over 20. That is a lot of grave digging. Generations wiped out. Can't imagine. And the men who Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report, I'll shorten it, they died in a plague. They were done. So, how do we carefully have a nation of Israel with a promise over here? How do we apply this passage to us as the people of God who have a, a promise to us, who have a mission in front of us? How might we relate? Think of Moses and Aaron. They were grumbled against. They were threatened with stoning. And what was their response? Because let me tell you, I've been a leader when people weren't real happy with me. And their response was they pled with God to forgive his people. They did not beat the people on the head. You don't, you don't see Moses saying, see, glory came down. You're all losers. I'm the guy. He didn't do that. He didn't have to. Instead, he took compassion on them. And he wanted them to have relationship with Almighty God. To put it in New Testament terms, the gospel in relationship with God was more important than all the other components, including that they wanted to kill him. The adults of Israel, they, their desire was to choose their own leader, despise God and his plan. They did not believe. They grumbled. We're back to that Merg thing, right? And they did not repent. Think about it. It was put in front of them, and, and God said, I have pardoned. And he says, and I'm going to wipe you all out, 20 and up. There's this deafening silence. Wouldn't, wouldn't you look at God and say, please, forgive me. I've been totally wrong. Wouldn't you turn and... I mean, even if, even if you knew, okay, I, that's the punishment he's landed on me, wouldn't you pursue relationship with him? There was no evident turn pursuit of God at that moment. You know, in my story, I was telling you about one slice of part of my life. Um, you know, I, I sinned in my grumpiness my judgment in my mind. Fortunately, I didn't say too many things and I didn't write too many things. And I, I honored our leaders, which was good, I think. But I, it's just, it's so easy just in my heart to, you know, why this hardship, you know? How is this right? How is this fair? And, and I'm not, I'm, I'm worried about all that because of what I love and how I want to be, and I'm not, I'm not thinking like Moses. I'm thinking like the people of Israel. I'm not thinking about relationship with God. I'm thinking about my idols, I'm thinking about me. I think it's, 
I had to have help, just so you know, from Scripture, from a couple of counselors that I called and said, okay, I think I'm thinking wrong. And they're like, yeah, most assuredly. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't think it's that bad. And they were pretty kind to me, but they gave me Scripture. And then pretty soon I was going, yeah, this is, this is really bad. Okay? My heart is off. Okay? And, and God, God helped me. And he certainly has forgiven me. He promises that. Joshua and Caleb, man, they're faithful to the promise. They see God as with them. They could just picture that and know it. And you know what? I've already said in the New Testament, it's clearly he is with us. They begged the people to change their mind, and they did not flaunt when God blessed them later. The nations, they're watching the people of God. You might be in here tonight, and you don't believe. You're like, I've heard all this salvation stuff. I've heard about, you know, church, and heard a story tonight about church not doing well. See, I don't want to be a part of church. You know, church... We're sinners. We fail. But the cool thing about church, that when we embrace Jesus, he brings us to peace. And he gives us joy. Amen? Amen? And we have a hope that's eternal. And so there's rest even in the middle of what we're working out. That's what God gives us as people. And we have a way to work that out. And so you might be here questioning, which actually, if you're sitting here and you say, why do you bring that up? I bring that up so the rest of us who believe, who may be in struggle, that we would feel uncomfortable. Because I did. I felt uncomfortable. It even is part of what's uncomfortable in me that motivates me to do right. Because I want the city where the church I served in is, I want them to see us be God's people with gospel love and unity together. Amen? That's what I want. Because the nations are watching. And God has redeemed us to the praise of his glory, it says in Ephesians, multiple times. He, he's redeemed us to the praise of his glory. So if we don't function within the praise of his glory, if we function in our human carnal stuff we get tipped all twisted up in, okay, when we function like that, the nations around us, they look at it and go, what is that? If our kids hear us, Complaining about church, that's the word grumble. Murmuring, ticked off. It is screaming to them, Jesus is not enough. Better to, for them to see you in tears before the Lord, not sure what to do, being humble of heart. Because grumble, it just poisons the nations, or those who have not yet believed. The children of Israel, boy, they were given mercy. They were given a choice. Ultimately, if you think about the times of this church at Corinth, ultimately, if you look at that, <clears throat> you know, every person in Corinth, they were being given a choice. This, this church is living in front of them, and the gospel is going out from them. And they're given a choice. Ultimately, each of us are at that spot. You have to determine to make a choice. Being born into a certain family isn't going to set you in a good spot with God. Going to the right church isn't going to set you in a right spot with God. Matter of fact, your very actions, internal and external, that don't agree with God are called sin. And that sin cannot be near a holy God. There is no entering there. And, and actually, as believers, when we sin, there's a break in fellowship between us and God. There's not that close abiding when we remain in our sin. So sin, it's, it's, it's just destructive. And children of Israel, they're given mercy. And that steadfast love of God is extended to every person in this room. 
You may have never trusted Christ. It's been talked about in a song, been talked about by our song leader, even in this service. But understand, the, the payment of Jesus for your sin is made on the cross as perfect sacrifice so that your sin can be eliminated. It's atoned for. Because you've surely sinned. And even if you chose right now to not sin again, and you were able to keep that, which is impossible, unless you die immediately, okay? Like, you're going to sin. And, and so even if you, but if you could, perchance, live perfectly from this point forward, you still can't fix all the sin that happened before. And, and my mom will assure you that from the time I was five years old, I was clearly sinning on a regular basis. All moms in here, what, what would you say about your children? Are you pretty confident by five they're sinning? Oh, yeah. They even know it, which is what makes it clearly sin. Okay? And so they're clearly sinning. And, I mean, if I sinned only once a day, 300 days a year, which my mom would clearly tell you that is a severe underestimate. Okay? And, I, and let's say that I'm 50 years old, which is, would be a lie if I did that. It would be another sin. But let's just say I'm 50 for easy math. Okay? 45 times 300 is a big number. And we know if that was my total sins, there's no way, even if that sin was a parking ticket, there's no judge on earth that would say, well, I mean, that's a few thousands and thousands and thousands of parking tickets, but I'm sure he'll do better from now on. No, I would be out in my city with a toothbrush washing parking meters. And I would be incarcerated the rest of the day, right? Until I paid all of this and then probably paid down ahead in case I was future stupid, right? I mean, I mean, it would just be extreme whatever was done to me and that would be over parking tickets. But my sins, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, are against holy God who never deserves a sin against him. And he is also totally just judge. And I must have pardon. And because of his promise ahead of time, and because he is steadfast love, even to this nation of Israel, because he's steadfast love, he sent his son to die to pay for all those thousands and thousands. So that when I look at him and say, I will take that gift, that pardon that covers all of that. He gives it. And there's no magic words for that. It's just what the word of God would call belief. That part of you that makes you you, putting your full dependence on what Jesus has done to pay that way. And when you believe that, for real, the gospel or that, that cleansing comes, it says, with power. So you'll know it. And the Spirit comes in you, and I can't even explain that, except that it happens, and it helps you know that you know that you've really redeem, been redeemed, just like Scripture says, you've been purchased. Your sins are gone. And now, he says, I've set you on mission for me. You were serving Satan, whether you knew it or not, and he says, now you've repented and you've turned, and now you're serving me, because you are depending on me, and because you have been moved by my love to pardon you, and now you're just constrained by that love that you must Follow him. Real redemption always happens that way. The children of Israel, they were given mercy. They were given a choice. The problem is with many of us, even though we believe that choice, 
And some of us maybe are sitting here haven't believed you've been distracted by what we might call the ten spies who come back and say, there's no way the gospel can do that. You can't be sure of eternity. Um, that it comes like this to the believer. You'll just keep sinning. You're not really capable of helping God in his ministry. You don't really need to serve. Your stuff isn't really his. I mean, there are just tons of things the, the grumbling causing 10 spies, if we want to say it that way. Because what did they do? They said, God can't take us into the land. The power of God comes down and everything stops. Egypt conquered. Egypt was way more powerful than anything they were looking at in the land. How could they not know? But they grumbled. They took their eyes off the glory of God. And as believers, we do that. And honestly, you heard the gospel tonight as an unbeliever if you're here. And it's very easy for you to be distracted from that and say, oh, but, but I'll have to live a boring, horrible life. Look at these people in this chapel. <laughs> and some of you, maybe that's the life you're following. I, I don't feel that way about mine. I have this contentment with God and an opportunity to serve him. And it is invigorating to see God at work. And there is no boredom. And besides, then he lets us enjoy all things that he's made. That's crazy. There will be satisfaction. Don't be distracted. Believers at Corinth, you know, they had a choice. Would they believe? I think one of the choices in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, if you were still there, you flip back. In chapter 9, I've preached this in some of your churches. It talks about all the things that Paul's been. To the weak, I become weak. To the strong, I become strong. He lists all these things. Why did he do all that? I do all of it for the sake of the gospel, this good news that I just shared with you. He said, I, did, I became everything. I did everything I could to relate to every person where I was. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them as blessings. The fact that you have everlasting life if you believe that the power of sin is gone and you do not have to live in this life where Satan and your sin and the world drags you down and makes life absolutely miserable. Instead, you can obey and have power in the sufferings and wherever it is that God takes you. Because God doesn't like put you on easy street. He's gonna, sometimes he's going to crank you through suffering because it will be to the praise of his glory. And then you have eternity with him. And you can read about that in other parts of the book. He's, and you might say, well, that's just Paul. That's what Paul's like. But don't miss verse 24 in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, do you not know that all in a race, excuse me, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. So it looks like he's talking about himself, all these things that he's doing. And all of a sudden, on the flip of a phrase, he's like he immediately turns and his eyes bore into us. And he says, so you need to run. Let me ask you, are you worshiping idols, believer? Or are you running, being all things to all men, that by all means you might save some? Which is it? Are we, we sitting at home placid? Can't go to church, there's COVID. Oh man, how's the gospel going to go out? Nobody can come to church. Paul didn't say run to church. He said, go to all men. And he uses the image of run. Go find them. Let me tell you, there are lost people everywhere who need the blessing of the gospel of God. You say, I don't know how to do that. I'm just going to press you. If the Spirit, is the Spirit of God powerful? Not like all powerful? 
You're like, he's sucking us into something here. Yeah, I am. I am. The Holy Spirit, absolutely powerful. Who brings us into all truth? Christ does by his Spirit, doesn't he? Isn't that what it said? All truth. So will, I mean, will the Spirit of God with the Word of God enable you to have everything you need for life and godliness to run and take this message? Six of us, we're making progress. It's okay, I still got a few more minutes, Pastor. I'm going to go after this, all right? Let me tell you, he will. Absolutely. Because this is what he wants you to do. This is promise for us. We're, we, don't, we don't go get a land, and, and we, don't, we don't build a big church. God never promised what size church. He didn't even promise that your church would still exist a year from now. He doesn't promise that anywhere in Scripture. He just says his church will remain. Yours might be gone. And you're like, oh, I just, I'm part of God's church, and I'm always going to be in a local church because that's his plan. But it's up to him what church he, whatever he does. My job is I need to obey. And one of the things I know I need to do in this passage, there's many others. But man, I, I need to run like I'm trying to win the race. I watched a video. I love sports. It can be a bad thing. It can be a good thing. I watched a video uh, yesterday of Terrell Owens, who's 46 years old. Anybody see this? You're not supposed to be watching it at camp, so probably not. Okay. Terrell Owens races, I forget his first name, Hunt from the Kansas City. Isn't he at Kansas City? Kareem Hunt. That's, you all know. You all pagan. I like that. No. So he, but Kareem Hunt, I mean, he is one seriously fast dude. And so they line up. I'm like, Terrell, what are you, you're 46 years old. I mean, he is standing there and he's got like an eight pack. You know, it's pretty impressive. Seriously, like he is 46 and ripped. I'm like, yeah, I got some gym work to do at this point. <laughs> Whew, you know, I'm older. That's it. <laughs> but anyway, they, they line up and Terrell Owens wasn't like, yeah, let's see how we do. You know, I'm 46, probably lose this thing. No, man. He was like, I mean, he's breathing hard. He's, everything's stretched out, ready to go. And he tried to beat this guy who's a missile. And he barely, I mean, he barely lost. And he had no shame in it. Why? Why didn't he have shame? He said, because he's 46 years old. I don't think so. I think the, sh- the reason he didn't have any shame is because he ran that race like he meant it. And I was just looking at you. You say, well, I'm not as gifted as pastor. I don't know. Run the race to win it. And let God decide. You say, I might, I wonder if, if you're in this room and you have never led someone to Christ, that may not be your fault. Because God's the one that redeems. But if you're in this room and it is not your habit to speak of the power and the awesomeness of God, and then to transition conversations to the very direct truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel with people who do not know him. If this is not your pattern and your practice, I'm just going to submit to you that I think you may have fallen prey to worshiping idols. And I think you might have listened to the grumbling 10 spies who say, our town is so evil. Let me tell you, Ephesus, Corinth, those were not nice places. 
Okay? They were not Christian cultures at all. So stop listening to the spies. Say, Our land is no longer Christian. You should just go, good, this will be clearer. Darkness and light, very clean. We can see the difference now. Go run the race. And we have every advantage. We get to go to IRBC. Sit, relax, eat sweet corn. That is the opposite of Merg, by the way. So when someone does something nice, what should you say this week? Sweet corn, right? I mean, I mean, when they say right things, y'all, y'all just, I mean, we're Iowa. I mean, that is like, that would work, I think. Let me tell you, we sit right here and it is, this is spiritual in one sense. It's not really, because there's a fight right here. The enemy's among us. And it's easy for us to dismiss this, what I'm trying to speak simply to you. So, I mean, I, I don't want to say this is easy street, but man, you've got a lot of partners here who will agree with this truth that I'm saying, who will walk with you, who are stumbling with you, and would love to have a hand. I'm one of them. To keep pressing ahead. And to make, because when that's our passion, we, we solve church. That's what I find. When our church, we had times where God showed his hand and there were buckets of people being saved. Children, adults, public school principal. I mean, like, just, I'll just, I mean, it was from every kind of situation. And when that was happening, there was no grumbling at church. And you know what? We were still the same flawed, oops, blew it, did wrong, said something offensive people. Because that never changes. We're people. But boy, when the, when, the, when the ship is sailing on its mission, it is just easier to handle the stuff we do poorly with each other because we know, but we got to get there. And so when things are like this, I think usually it's happened because, and, and you don't blame the rest of the church. This, you need to sail, and others will sail with you. And even if it's a few, it will, be, it will eventually, it, it turns the whole thing. Will you witness or serve idols? And uh, as one writer, church writer I read pretty often says, will you witness or will you watch your church disappear? You know, even in our circles, and I've been GRBC pretty much in a GRBC GRBC church since I was four years old. And uh, our churches, many of them grew, and some of them did good outreach across the years, and led people to Jesus. But more often than not, over the last 50 years, churches that looked strong, they were strong because our culture was Christian. And so people happened to happen to come in the door, and doggone it, our churches preached the gospel. Hallelujah. And so people walked in the door, and they got gloriously saved. And it's so cool. But let me tell you, in America, people just aren't going to generally walk into your church anymore. It doesn't happen. Because they don't wake up in the morning and go, on Sunday morning, go, oh, I miss church. It's not on anybody's consciousness if they're 40 and under, pretty much. And so if you, you have to determine to go run and, uh, and take the gospel to them. Most of the people who ended up coming to our church over the last 10 years, they came to know Jesus in somebody's house in the counseling room, and then they came to church. Because church makes sense once you're redeemed. I... I hate to shorten the God section, so i got to go hard. Question two. What do you learn about God? I'll tell you what I learned. If 
from the New Testament and in this story because God hasn't changed. He is in our midst. If we really believe that, we would not yell at each other in church business meetings. I don't think. I mean, if Jesus was in the room, and he is, whew, I don't know. I, I lose that sometimes when I speak to my brothers. I start what Jerry Bridges said, start living like I'm ungodly, like God doesn't even exist. But I'm telling you, he is in our midst. And that changes things. Because when I'm scared, no need. He is in. You know where I've seen Jesus just so powerfully? Ace Hardware. Yeah, it's great. I walk in there, and uh, I've told some of these stories, but small engine lady, she's helping me with parts, and I already know all the parts, but I thought this way I can get to know her. And I have a cup of their horrible coffee. I never drink it. I just carry it around. It slows me down. Can you carry all this? I guess not. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and I just get to be with people, you know. And then I put the coffee in the ashtray or something, you know, on the way out. But, but I, you know, I go in there and and I would talk to this lady and and uh, you know, she she had a totally different lifestyle than most of the ladies I knew, and and her life's just really different than me. But she loved God's creation, and eventually she even called it that. You know, because if we say, if we, if we just choose, he's in our midst, and I walk in and grab that ugly coffee and say, okay, God, who today? It's going to be the owner. It's going to be the brand new guy stocking shelf. Who's it going to be today? And God shows up at Ace Hardware. That's just what he's like. And I never led anybody to Christ in Ace Hardware. That never happened. But I built the relationships that caused that fruit somewhere else down the road with parts of their family or with some of them. He's in our midst. He's forgiving. God, I mean, steadfast love of God all through Scripture. If you're here and you say, but he, how could he forgive me? Let me tell you, he already has paid the price. It's actually rude not to take the forgiveness because he already paid for it. Accept that. Receive it by believing that that's what Jesus did. He keeps his loving promise. His church will remain. He will be in our midst. And what we do, we ought to do in his name. He judges the guilty. And he died to remove us from judgment, but make no mistake, even as believers, if we remain in our sin, he will attack and press against us his power is great let me tell you he will be glorified this is what I, I want to do tonight I think, I think the message has been clear and we have to quit Chad if you'd come and if you pick something and play that or that last song we did was great too whatever, whatever you think this is what I, I want to have happen um, I know we have one more message but I opened my heart to you tonight, okay? I told you why these messages have been coming. I've told you clearly that I understand how hard it is to walk in the world where we are. It is. And I, I just wonder, in listening to some of this and identifying with characters, if there isn't some decision to make. And uh, I don't know about you, I, I'm a slow processor. I, I rarely come to the absolute definitive decision I need to make sitting in a service like this. I, 
it takes me a while to boil it and put it all together. So what I just, and, and we have another night though, so that's good. So what I was thinking tonight is, if you're in the midst of struggle and you're, you're sitting here and you know, I have some stuff that I need to make definitive decision on. I just want you, uh, as we sing and, you know, let's stand so it's a little easier, so stand together. Just slip out, come up here and pray, okay? I'm not going to come up to you and say, what are you praying about? Because I told you, no, this is you going on notice with your brothers and sisters that there's wrestle here and it's not settled. And I need to, I need to be before the Lord and ask for his help, okay? Chad, if you lead us. You come right away. You don't... You already know whether you need to be here, so don't fight them, okay? Don't, don't listen to the spies, all right? Just by faith, come. It'll be good for you to do business with God, even if it's a moment. Do that.